Welcome to the Soul Service Podcast. I'm your host, Anastasia Burtnick. I am a spiritual life coach, energy healer, and psychic medium on a mission to help you heal, awaken, and expand your light and consciousness. If you are a spiritual seeker ready to learn, grow, and live and breathe your purpose here on this earth, you are in the right place, my friend. Together, we are going to dive deep into opening our hearts, healing our shadows, connecting with our souls, and erasing our vibes so you can live your best life ever. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Soul Service Podcast. On today's podcast episode, I have a special guest for you. Her name is Jen Godet, and she is a business coach who works with overwhelmed business owners who feel depleted or stuck in a rut. She helps them become the CEO of their lives and their business and re-energize their bodies, reignite their motivation, and maximize performance in business and in life. This is such a good episode. I, it was such a pleasure having Jen on the podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen in. We talk a lot about your inner critic on this one and also transforming judgment into love. These are things that I live and breathe in my own life. And it's so special to have Jen on the podcast to talk about this and really help you start diving deeper into transforming your mindset, silencing that inner critic and allowing your inner critic to be someone that is helpful to you versus harmful. And then really transforming all of those judgments into a love energy so that they move you forward instead of hold you back. So without further ado, everyone, let's dive in. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm super excited to be here talking to you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited to dive into today's topic. I know we're going to do a lot of talking about um, silencing your inner critic and transforming judgment into love. So that is two things that I'm really, really passionate about. And I'd, I can't wait to hear your take on it and for our, listening, our, our listeners to hear your take on it. So I'm really excited. So thank you again for being here today. Absolutely. You are hitting on one of my favorite topics because everybody has that inner mean girl or boy in their head. And mm-hmm. when we can just turn that critic into our cheerleader, amazing things happen. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I am curious before we dive into the topic itself, I want to know more about you. So tell us your story and a little bit of who you are. Yeah, so um, it, belo- it began a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. <laughs> but if we're going to compress it, basically, I come from the land of sports medicine. I was a sports medicine physical therapist for 20 years and worked with elite athletes. Um, I gave everything to my job everything, and there was mm. nothing left over. And a few years ago, um, five years ago to be exact, Mm -hmm. I finally went on a much earned vacation with um, the love of my life. And as soon as we got there, uh, he asked me for a divorce because I was not present and I pretty Mm -hmm. much lived for work and I didn't set boundaries. And so a lot of that came from was trying to fill the I'm not good enough hole. Mm -hmm. And so I kept doing all the things at work. You know, if only I make this achievement and I do this and I was there for everybody um, to kind kind of squelch my own inner critic, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? I believe that 
you know, I would be good enough and I didn't deserve to take time for myself and I didn't deserve happiness in a way because I was constantly beating myself up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it came to that and it was like a gut punch and a wake up call. And, and I realized that I needed to do something, um, because this was the man that I loved and I was working tirelessly in a job while I was passionate about it. And I loved working with clients. It wasn't giving back to me. In mm-hmm. fact, it was taking from me. Yeah. Um, and, and so I hired a coach and that began my journey. And now today I get to help other people who don't set boundaries, who have that inner mean girl or boy in their head that keeps telling them to hyper overachieve, to fill that hole where they don't feel like they're good enough. Yeah. Um, I help them to understand that, you know what, you are good enough and you deserve to self-care. You deserve to have happiness exactly as you are. Um, and, um, so that kind of brings us up to today, you know, through my own coaching journey, through my own experiences, um, and not setting boundaries and not doing those things. Um, now I live that in my life and I help others to achieve that and to become really the CEO of their lives so they can become the CEO of their businesses as well. Wow. I love that. That, so many things that you just said spoke directly to my heart because I am definitely that person that was an overachiever and we have so so much in common. Uh, how did how did it feel for you to have to go through that experience? Oh, yeah. So um, I'll be frank. When uh, David is my husband and, and like, let's fast forward, we are happily married. So mm-hmm. I was able to save my marriage. Thank Amazing. goodness. Um, but, uh, when, when we were on the, like, it was a private Island. It was all decked out. I was excited because we were going to rekindle our relationship. And when he asked, when he said, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, like it probably was one of the lowest lows I've experienced. Um, only one time prior did I experience as, as big a gut punch. And it was when I ended up, um, I, I don't know, uh, if, if, we shared this before, but my first marriage ended because of a bout of domestic violence, um, which is, it's the same sort of gut punch. Like the person that you love more than anything is now rejecting you. Like that's how I took it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was really like a, it was a gut punch and a slap in the face at the same time. And literally it took him saying that, um, for me to kind of step back and say, wait, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Because literally, I defined my success by all the things that society says you're supposed to have, you know, the six figure income working, like I worked with Olympic athletes and professional athletes, like, I knew famous people, like they were just friends and clients, you know what I mean? Like the things that people looked at me from the outside looking in, they thought I was the picture of success. Mm -hmm. Like I had all the things they wanted. But the reality was, I was like, none of those things filled that hole. And there was always in the voice in my head, well, you know, if you slack up, if you slow down one bit, then everybody will know that you're not good enough, you know, that you're not really Mm -hmm. um, successful. It was like that whole, I guess, imposter syndrome mixed with I'm a fraud because like the things that I'm supposed to love, like the house, the pool, the vacations, like, like those kind of things that people are like, wow, you've made it. I didn't feel like I'd made anything. Um, so it really, really was hard and I had to do a lot of deep work. Um, and so this whole transforming judgment into curiosity, like that was one of the key exercises that one of my coaches did with me 
very early on and learning how to turn fear and, and anger, which is where our inner critic comes from, right? Yeah. Into love and, and finally culminating on, I'm going to be frank, like last February, February, um, February of 2019, I finally learned how to ask for support. Mm. Like it took four years in a journey for me to ask for support. And it, I hated my coach because it was at a conference and he put me on stage and made me ask for support in a personal manner, in a personal situation. Um, and like I, I cussed him out on stage, full, full stop. <laughs> and I was like, no way, you know, but he wouldn't let me leave until I literally asked a room full of people, full of people I didn't even know for their mm-hmm. support in a situation. And it, it was the hardest journey of my life, and it's still a journey. Um, as you know, you do the transformational work too. So, you yes. know, like when we're on a journey, you always think you're going to arrive and suddenly you'll be there. If someone would have told me, you know, 40 years ago that it, it's always a journey and to love the journey, I think I would have been a lot um, less hard on myself, yeah. right? Because you're always trying to arrive at what somebody else says you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. So yeah, it's, it's kind of all the fields, ro- fields rolled up in one. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I love, I really love the part um, where you mentioned that it is a journey because that's something I actually talk about a lot on the podcast here. And yeah, I definitely wish younger me, I wish, I wish we learned it from children that life is a journey because we really wouldn't be as hard on ourselves and we wouldn't have to go through as much pain and as much struggle and as much internal torture if we knew that and if we could open our hearts. So it's good that yeah. we've learned these lessons now, but. Oh, yes. And, and, you know, I would take that as a yes and I would even take it one step further to say, I wish that as a society, we could stop shaming our children. You know, like we instill those fears in our children completely unintentionally. Like stop telling kids that they have got to go to college to be an engineer because that's what makes money. And they'll have the wife, the, the, you know, 2.5 kids and the money that they need. Like, yeah. If as children, we accept that each of us has a different definition of success Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, what would happen in our world as all these new children, as, as these children grow up or as we grew up really, if we knew that when we were, when we were young, because what we spend our entire lives doing is comparing ourselves to everyone else. Who's got mm-hmm. the highest grade in the classroom? Who's the most talented on the soccer field? Who's like, you're always being compared and comparing yourself to someone else instead of looking at it as, oh, my journey is different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe I'm not the most athletic, but you know what? I care very deeply and I'm the person I speak to animals or like I'm the animal whisperer, right? We all have our own unique gifts and, and recognizing that instead of comparing, man, what an amazing world we would live in, right? Yeah. Yes. 100%. I I can think of so many times in my life when I would push away who I was and all of my gifts just so that I could be accepted. And even then it wasn't enough. And then especially like I couldn't accept myself and so many people go through that. And that's why you're doing this work in the world. That's why I'm doing the work that I do in the world now because we've learned it, but there's so many people that are still living in that cycle. So 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, the thing that comes to mind when you say that is happiness is an inner game. Yes. Success is an inner game. Acceptance is an inner game. And truly, like love, safety, and belonging, it starts inside of us. Um, if we don't love ourselves, we can't find that in an external relationship. So no amount of other people accepting us will ever fill that hole because we don't intrinsically love ourselves or accept ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, Ooh, I got the chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the goosebumps start going. <laughs> That's when you know it's a good message. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I actually find that when it comes to people loving themselves, and this is, this is my own belief, and I'm, I'm curious to know if you share, it sounds like you would, but I, I truly believe that we cannot love another person until we love ourselves. And like, we can only love someone to the extent that we love ourselves. Exactly, exactly. Especially the second one, because so a client of mine recently challenged the belief that we can't love anyone without loving ourselves first. And she said, well, I love my children above everything. But I do believe that we can only love as much as we love ourselves or to the extent. And, and that's because like if, you, if you've done, I don't know if you've done relationship work or you've done work with parents and children, um, but after working with a lot of kids um, in my prior career, because a lot of athletes, uh, high school, collegiate or whatever, um, when you see them, they're also interacting with their parents and you see their parents' lack of self-esteem in the words they use with themselves. Yeah. Um, and so even though we may think we're loving our children or we may think we're loving the person in front of us, really and truly, we're loving them to the, uh, the only way we know how. Yes. Right? Yeah. And if our experience of, of acceptance and self and love of self is not one that is um, unconditional, then we unwittingly put strings attached on all of our other relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed that even within working on my own relationships in my life with my partner, with my parents and healing those relationships, I've noticed that a lot. I noticed the narrative that goes through their minds and that ended up forming my belief systems, especially from my parents growing up. So it, it plays a huge role in how we show up, what we do, how we act, just everything in our life. Oh, absolutely. And our inner critic comes from those generational beliefs too. Like I'll give you a complete example with myself. Like all I ever wanted for as long as I can remember was my mother to say, I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. Literally my entire life, because the only time she ever said it, it was like, because of something, and then there was a, a, a qualifier. But if you had done this, it would have been so much better. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's almost like it negated the words. Like all I wanted, and I realized this, this was part of my journey in the last couple of years was I don't need my mom to say she's proud of me because she's not proud of herself. So she can't possibly say that to me. Um, you yeah. know, it's not that she loves me any less. It's that she is incapable of saying that to somebody else because she doesn't feel it internally in herself. And I really hope she's not listening to this <laughs> because it's a conversation we haven't had, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed the same thing with my own mom, especially. And the other thing I've noticed is that it's, she will, she actually projects a lot of her own beliefs onto me about herself. So 
where she might call herself um, lazy or stupid and like things like that. And she will project them as if I'm saying them to her, but I've never said those things to her, but I know that it's what she's thinking in her own mind. And those projections hurt as well, because a lot of times we are just trying to love someone and they're just putting words in our mouth because that's what is going through their mind. And it's so hard to move through and heal and open your heart to them and understand them all on this journey. Absolutely. And love them for where they are, even if you've gone, you've grown beyond that. Yeah. Oh girl, you're speaking to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Our hearts are definitely connected in this one. (laughs) I knew this was going to be great when we had our conversation a few weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was, yeah, this is going to be such a good one. It's already good. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we haven't even gotten started yet. No. (laughs) So Jen, I'm curious how do you find that identity plays into all of this? Because I know that identity was a big thing for me as I've gone through all the healing work. So I'm curious as to your take on that. Right. So, um, I think this is a multifaceted question and actually a loaded question. Um, (laughs) where I am now, I believe that our beliefs form our identity. Um, and some people don't agree with that and that's fine, but I believe our beliefs form our identity Um, But when I was trapped in that um, hyper overachiever and putting Mm -hmm. myself on the back burner, um, my identity was my job. I defined myself by the things I did rather than by who I was being. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like we talked about the intrinsics of self-love and knowing that we're on a journey, I think the same rule applies. Like we are not taught as children, most of us anyway, we're not taught as children that our identity is so much more than what we do because we spend life being identified here in the United States. You get a social security number. Boom. Here's your identification. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like you become an, you, you become a number, you know, you're identified in school. Are you in the A, B or C class? Like which, which are you gifted or do you need a little extra help? Like you're constantly being shoved into these boxes, right? And so our society has formulated these boxes and they try to cram us in. But if you're like me, like we don't fit in a box. Mm -hmm. And so it never, ever really sinks in or fits or feels aligned. Like it's like you always feel trapped by the things you're doing because you've been Mm -hmm. shoved into a box you don't belong. And so when you talk about that, to me, identity is who you are being. It's, it's a culmination of, um, who you are at the core of your being, your purpose, your why, what is it that like lights your soul on fire and brings you, get you up in the morning. And I don't mean you need to be like saving the world. I mean, it might just be, I want to be the best mom that I possibly can to my children today. But whatever is that internal caring, nurturing, driving force that, that lights your fire. um, That really is the crux of who we are in our identity, not the role that we play. Not I'm a mom. And so I need to leave out of bed to be a good mom. No, it's the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the journey really is like, it's constantly like peeling an onion, literally, because you think you've unwrapped it. Like when I left sports medicine, like I thought I got rid of that identity, right? Well, I allowed my PT license to completely, I retired it completely in November of last year. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I had kept it inactive for three years without practicing at all. Like I still did all the continuing education because I couldn't let that go. Mm. Like, and then yeah. when I let it go, like I was real passive aggressive about it. I'm totally telling on myself, like people don't know this. You're getting the, you're getting like insider information. No one knows this about me, <laughs> but like I had been wanting to retire it, but I did it in the way that I just didn't renew a license. And they had to tell me that I no longer was a licensed professional in the state, basically. Like I couldn't pull the trigger to mm -hmm. say, I don't want this anymore. And I went through about a week and a half and my husband, my husband knows this, but no one else does. We went away because um, it was over my birthday um, when, when the license renewed and we went away for the weekend and like I was in the deepest, darkest funk I've been in in a while because mm -hmm. like that piece of me, I couldn't take back now. I had already thought I had left that behind and I no longer identified as, you know, Gen PT or whatever, yeah. um, sports performance, you know, like, but the reality was that I held on to a little piece of it and I had to release that and let it go. And man, it hurt. It was like pulling out a splinter from my soul. Mm -hmm. And then when I came through the other end of it, I was like, why am I so upset? Like, look at the things that I'm doing now. Look at what I get to be. Look, look what I get to how I get to show up in the world. Like I'm 100% myself. Nobody's telling me what I can and can't say. Mm -hmm. Nobody's telling me that I can't serve certain people because they don't make it. Like they don't have a certain insurance plan or like whatever. Yeah. Like all of the, it's like the box went away, <laughs> you know? And what I'd been wanting was to get out of the box. But actually when the box went away, it was almost like a grieving process for that piece mm -hmm. of my identity. And once I was able to release it, I was like, wait a minute. It actually wasn't my identity at all. Yeah. It was absolutely. what I, meaning I was assigning to that silly piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway, I don't know if that was what you intended me to answer or not, but you got the whole goods on that. <laughs> that, that was beautiful. That was, that was perfect. I actually, I feel like I say this every time you share something, but I went through the same process when I left the military because it wasn't actually my choice to leave, even though I was ready to leave. Um, and yeah, every time we let go of those external labels that we've put on ourselves, there is a huge grieving process that we've gone through, whether it is through a role or a job or even an identity around, for example, chronic pain or something. Anytime we start letting go of that, we have to grieve because it, it was like it was a part of us. And we're just realizing that it's not who we are at a core level, at a soul level but there's, we still have to grieve it. So absolutely. You know, um, this is an analogy and I use it all the time. I'm getting goosebumps because we're talking about stuff that I care so deeply about, but the analogy I like to use is, um, when we talk about identity as in roles, really what we're doing is we're putting on like a costume for each stepping stone in life, right? Mm -hmm. So you were in the military costume and this stepping stone. And then when you had to go to the next, you have to shed that and shimmy out of that. And now you're wearing the costume of this role, like roles are just like costumes. Yes. Um, you know, it's like we're an actor in those roles and, and it's never fun to let go, but it's so important to grieve and let go so that we can actually move forward. Otherwise we always have like these little like anchors holding us back to what was back there. And until we can release that and let it kind of fly away and like love every part of it, right? Love mm. the fact that we didn't have the choice to leave it. Yes. Love everything that it did for us so mm -hmm. that we can say, okay, I don't need this anymore, but I'm so thankful and appreciative of it. And now I can finally, you know, move forward. Yeah. Um, 
it's like, it's just like changing clothes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's great to be here looking back, right? It sucks to go through it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if we don't go through the grieving process, it would be like changing those costumes, but wearing three-year-old dirty underwear. Yeah. Each costume change. <laughs> And I'll just get grosser and grosser. <laughs> I wonder how my clients would feel about that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> we get real weird here. So <laughs> you're totally good, but it's, tr- I mean, it's totally true. It's like, yeah. who's got the dirty pants in the room? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is super fun. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. This is super good. So Tell me more about the inner critic and how you started overcoming it and how you help people overcome it. Right. So it. full disclosure, I got mm-hmm. help. Yeah, that's, that's a great start. I think we all need help. <laughs> I got help. Um, the number one thing that I preach from the mountaintops, I feel like I just watched Harry Potter. Sorry, my, my grandson is five and we're watching Harry Potter. I love and Harry Potter. there is a time for those of you who don't know in the Harry Potter movies where they don't want them to practice spells, right? Mm-hmm. And they ask Harry to teach them spells like the other students. And Harry's like, y'all are making me out to be something so great. But really, I always had help. Well, I feel that way about every step in the journey. Like people on the outside look at you and they think you're, you've got your stuff together and you're doing all the things and you're all successful. But the reality is on the inside, you don't feel it. And that inner critic needs a little help. Yes. <laughs> that inner critic needs a little love. And if we're not loving ourselves and we're just doing all the things to, to have the appearance, mm-hmm. then it's, it's almost like that three-year-old dirty underwear that becomes four and five and six-year-old dunny underwear. And no matter what's going on outside, it's just really foul on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first step for me was getting help. And I got a coach who helped me through the process. And I went through a coaching certification to do the deeper dive, like the real deep mindset work. Um, so between the two of those things, I really dove deep and peeled the onion back and recognized that our inner critic has a positive intention for us. Mm-hmm. Like when you think about Maslow's hierarchy, sorry to get sciencey, you know, the basics are food, shelter, water on the, on the very survival letter level. But the very next level is love, safety, and belonging. We are human beings. We cannot survive without it. Um, and so when I think about, for example, in my journey, the inner critic, what her positive intention always was, was to keep me in love, safety, belonging. Oh no, Jen, don't go wearing that because people might laugh at you and you'll lose belonging, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, your friend said something about people with black hair. You better go dye your hair red now so you won't be like in that stereotype. Like whatever it is, sometimes it's the most ridiculous of things that happen when we're children, right? Things, Mm -hmm. and we internalize that. Um, And so for for the journey, it's number one, recognizing that your inner critic actually is looking out for you, which is really hard to believe because she's beating you up, right? Yes. But for many of us, like for myself, it was um, fear of rejection. Like, mm-hmm. oh, if you do that, you won't fit in, right? And it morphed into, um, I recognized that my inner critic is what drove me to continue to hyperachieve. 
right? Mm -hmm. So the external validation, um, the things that like, like all the accomplishments that pile up that we actually don't celebrate ourselves in the quiet, but like we pretend that we do, but we just don't believe we deserve it on the inside. Yeah, those things, the inner critic is driving us. So I believed that if I didn't listen to the, the voice in my head and didn't beat myself up. I wouldn't continue to grow and to achieve and to do more things, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of like is, is what is the positive intention? And it morphed. When we were kids, it was so that I would fit into a group. And then, you know, in my adult life, I went into a male-dominated field. I had to be a woman in a man's world in sports mm-hmm. medicine. And so like even so far as to like wear, like, sorry, guys, to wear two sports bras and a, a shirt that's too big so that I don't look like I have a female figure, like – we do things to fit in yeah. and to not be singled out. Um, and in my twenties, like that was what defined me. Like, how do I fit in and make it in this, you know, male dominated field and the things that you do. And I know everybody here has done something like that at some point in time, maybe not wearing two bras and the shirt, two sizes too big, but we all do things to fit in. Mm-hmm. And then as we get older, we realize that that doesn't really, we don't care about that anymore but it has become so ingrained and our inner critic is actually like, I looked at it like very few people make it to the level of success I had. It was because my inner critic was beating me up that it kept getting there. So hence my success, my financial security, my relationships are attributed to the fact that I beat myself up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So what is the positive intention? Survival, like love, safety, belonging, and survival. And so when we look at it and our inner critic gets in our head and goes, you should have done this. If only you had said that, blah, blah, blah. You'll be good enough when X, Y, and Z, that driving force we assign, the positive intention is to keep growing. Mm -hmm. But there comes a time when we recognize that it's detrimental. And then we find ourselves kind of, have you ever been like an analysis paralysis and you just can't move forward? Or you procrastinate doing that thing? Mm-hmm. It's because you've gotten to the tipping point where the inner critic's not driving you anymore, but now it's holding you back. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so, so understanding that my inner mean girl, all she wanted was love, safety, belonging, and for me to be the best that I could possibly be, which are things that I actually want, which is what is so scary, right? You want all those things. I want to be yeah. the absolute best version of myself, but the way she's speaking to me, I can't get there because I'm holding myself back and now I'm petrified to move forward. Um, so recognizing what is it that your inner critic wants for you mm-hmm. is, is really key. And then the next step to the awareness, so awareness that she exists for starters, because some people yeah. don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And then awareness of what triggers it. Like what did start that? It's really screwed up. Like my inner critic might be backwards. And I don't know if this is you or any of your listeners, but um, my inner critic is never before a thing. I am fearless. I will go out and speak in front of 10,000 people. No problem. No inner critic. But as soon as I walk off the stage, that was the worst performance of my life. I can't believe that I did this. If only I had said this, oh, the person in the first row on the left um, wasn't engaged. Like what if nobody understood? Like that's what, that's when mine kicks in. It's after. And -hmm. it's just like incessant, right? And what is the intention? Well, to make me better the next time, right? Yeah. But it also robs us of celebrating the thing that we just did that maybe 10,000 people gave me a standing ovation and I really actually rocked and everybody else is like, holy crap. And here I am going, man, you obviously don't know that I screwed up this word, this word, and this word. And, and I repeated myself twice. You know, like nobody knows those things, but mm-hmm. we focus on those and it limits us. Um, it limits us from celebrating and loving the good in our life. Yes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, um, 
knowing the triggers. So my triggers are after a thing, when somebody congratulates me, it's like, a, it's like a trigger for me. My inner critic's like, oh, if they only knew. Like it's the secret shame, right? <laughs> oh, if they only knew. Yeah. Um, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely experienced both sides of that where it's been both before and after. It depends on what I'm doing. I experience it more now where it's before than after. But like for a good example is when I first started this podcast, every time I'd go and I'd record an episode, I would then second guess it. And I'd be like, that was terrible. I don't know what I was doing. I why is anybody even listening to this? And then I go back and listen and I was like, oh, well, that's actually good. Okay. So in a critic, you're wrong, <laughs> and it, but it, right? it shows up all the time and it can prevent us from going and doing live videos. It can prevent us from reaching out to people. It can prevent us from doing so many things, whether it's before or after. And even if, and if it's an after, it might prevent us from doing something again. Or asking for the feedback that you need so that you can improve upon it. Yes. Yeah. Or even the feedback that you need so that, oh, well, I need to keep this in here because this is what I did good. Because so if mine like rebels against any positive feedback, literally, <laughs> it's, it's fierce. Um, so you're absolutely right. And, and, and once we recognize the trigger, we recognize the critic. Um, and we ask, what is the positive intention behind it? Is it to keep us in love, safety, and belonging? Is it to drive us to become better? Mm -hmm. um, then thanking our inner critic, that's, that's the hard yeah. piece. Yes. That's the hard piece. Thank you for having my back. You're a complete witch with a capital <laughs> B, but thank you for having my back, right? Like, but we have to mean it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's almost like that part of us. And, and, and it's funny, I'm going to ask you, Mm -hmm. Where does your inner critic live? Like if you close your eyes and you think about when your inner critic is speaking to you, where do you feel it? It's in my heart and my throat. Yeah. And so for me, it's like in my gut, mm. like it's deep in my gut, like almost yeah. like, like in the gut and up to the solar plexus, like somebody's going, yeah. <laughs> um, and so when you feel that, ask yourself, is it truth? Mm -hmm. you know, um, is, is your inner critic speaking truth and, and what needs to be said? So when I do the work with clients, I usually ask them, I said, great. So when you feel that, you know, in your heart and in your throat, put a microphone to that spot. What does your heart and your throat need to say right now? What are the, what, what is it that needs to be voiced? because her inner critic is there because she's concerned about something or she's fearful about something. So what is that? Get really curious. I'm curious. What is it that you're so afraid of? And giving that fear of voice because our inner critic literally is the costume, right? Mm -hmm. Of our fears. Yes. Um, it's like our fears personified. So, um, Maybe she's angry at you. I'm angry at you for speaking in front of 10,000 people. Who the hell do you think you are, right? <laughs> I'm afraid something catastrophic will happen. Like what if 10,000 people in that room come and like stone you because they di disagree with what you said? Like what is the fear that yeah. needs to be voiced? And when we get curious, we really truly get curious um, and don't judge the voice. We give that part. For you, it's your heart and your throat. For me, mm -hmm. it's like the deep gut up through the solar plexus. What needs to be voiced there?
And when we, when we express that fear, if you don't change, I'm afraid dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, we let that out. It's amazing what we learn, not only about ourselves, but we also get clarity on what we need to ask for support in. Yes. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So you're like, listen, inner critic, like mine has a name. I don't know if yours has a name. Like mine has a name. I just um, call it my ego. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, listen, ego, I understand <laughs> that you really want me to be able to live my best life. My request is you let go of some heinous thing in the past. Cause you know, our mm-hmm. inner critics always like, remember that one time when you did that one thing and this person said this, mm-hmm. like, let go of that. What do you need to let go of? So your request is, I recognize that you want the best for me. You want me to be in love to people longing. I appreciate you. My request is you let go of the fact that I didn't set boundaries and that I lived for everyone other than myself for so many years to the point where I almost lost my marriage yeah. so that I can finally move forward, set the boundaries that I want to set and actually live the life that I deserve. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a process. It's the awareness, like the triggers, the what is putting a voice to the fear that our inner critic has and requesting her to let go. Yeah. Let go of something that happened in present. And like for the record, for anybody who's listening and for you too, um, <clears throat> this is a process. It's a journey. I mm-hmm. probably do this multiple times a day and I've been doing this for solid five years. Yeah. Right. I still have an inner critic, but it's not nearly as bad as what Mm -hmm. it was. It is a journey. (laughs) Progress, not perfection. And then once you request, let go of this, like this is the, this is the key for me and the key that my clients really, really dial into. I love you. Mm. Right. When's the last Mm -hmm. time you went in the mirror, looked yourself in the eye and said, I love you. You deserve to live your best life. You deserve to, to work where you're passionate. You deserve to be able to do the things that you want to do, to have the love in your life, the relationships in your life, mm-hmm. because that piece right there, um, and people package it up and call it all kinds of things like affirmations or whatever. And that's irrelevant what you call it. Yeah. But the crux of it is every time you go through this process, ending with, I love you, you deserve to be happy or to be financially free or whatever it is that you're holding yourself back from. Mm -hmm. Like that is the piece that truly helps move forward. And so that you can start shedding some of those old underwear that you were talking about earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Let that out, air it out a little bit. (laughs) Yep. Throw it in the wash like 6,000 times. Yeah. (laughs) Get a new pair. You deserve to buy a new pair of underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, when we talk about, you know, transforming judgment into love and and silencing our inner critic, it's just, it's a process, Mm -hmm. you know, what is it that needs to be voiced? What is your inner critic looking out for you? What is she afraid of? What is she really trying to say? Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, loving her, even though it's hard. (laughs) you know i think one of the things too that so many people don't realize is that as you get to know your inner critic as you start listening to her and you start doing this work regularly your inner critic grows along with you in a good way so your inner critic evolves so whereas several years ago mine was really nasty it and 
although it still shows up today, she's not nasty the way she was five years ago. And she will continue to evolve as I evolve because your inner critic feels new levels of safety. So, and as you grow, your baseline changes. So that's something to really keep in mind when you're thinking about doing this work and moving through this is that your inner critic is going to grow with you and you have to allow her to do so. Absolutely. And, and, and when you start the journey, remember, maybe she's just a three-year-old who doesn't understand the world and you might have to take, take a little kindly to her. Mm-hmm. Like what was always helped me in the beginning. And my coach was so great about this was visualizing me telling my daughter when she was three years old, the things that I told myself in my head, mm-hmm. because that was the little inner Jen, the like little Jen, who's just like the inner critic came from way, way, way back when I learned those things when I was a child before I could even speak or verbalize. Right. So that's why it's so hard in the beginning. It's like that inner child throwing a temper tantrum. No, you can't do this. Do not celebrate this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as she grows, maybe she doesn't grow quite as quickly as what we want. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also a habit, right? The way we talk to ourselves is also a habit. So if you're struggling with the belief work and the identity and really like, I find a lot of people have a hard time looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, I love you Mm -hmm. or I accept you as you are. Um, And if that's way too much of a stretch, um, visualizing the inner child in you, does the three-year-old inside of you, just three-year-old version of you deserve love? Of course. Like what child doesn't, you know, like we're not crazy, you know, horrendous beings. We are actually made of love and we learn Mm -hmm. all these criticisms. So. Yeah, absolutely. We really need to be so patient with ourselves when we're doing this and not really have expectations as to what it's going to look like when we start doing this work and we can't have expectations as to how fast we're going to go through it and, and the things that we're going to uncover and heal because it's not like there's no linear journey. It is a beautiful mess and we just have to live in it and let that mess slowly clean itself up and move away. I agree. You know, I use the stock market. I'm like, have you ever looked at the day-to-day stock market? And it's this like big, like swings and everything, but the general trend is up. Like I use that as an analogy because like when we do the work, we don't know how fast it's going to happen, whether it's going to be a bull or a bear market, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're going to, you're, you're striving for like really that 1% improvement. Like what is the 1% that we can focus on today and how can we use that to continue to propel us on our journey? And, and the other side is having grace. We do not have enough grace for ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. hello, I'm human. Are you human? Like I'm I might human. be an alien, but I mean, <laughs> like I'm human. I'm pretty sure. And as human beings, we are imperfect, beautifully, mm-hmm. perfectly imperfect. And so having grace with ourselves along any process, whether it's our inner critic or, Um, learning to love ourselves and accept ourselves or or on a career path, like Mm -hmm. having grace with ourselves is the the biggest part because like, it's like riding a bike or learning to walk, right? Have you ever watched a baby learn to walk? Do they just all of a sudden decide, Hey, I'm going to walk and get up and strut down the hall. No, they fall like 5,000 million times Mm -hmm. on their butt, on their face, like all over the place. And they've got like diaper butts. So their legs are all wonky and wobbly. And you know, it takes a lot of failing forward, but they don't give up. The key is they don't give up. And evidently like one day, all of a sudden they're running 
Yeah. Um, but it's a journey for them. And the same applies with any kind of work that we're doing, whether we're gaining a new skill technically or learning to ride a bike or whether we're doing the inner work, it's always about the journey. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're back to what we talked about in the beginning, loving the journey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, you know, so often we look at the at transformations of people and we, we see the end result and we don't see every single little change that was made throughout that journey to see that end transformation. But that transformation is full of tiny little changes, sometimes big changes, but it's, it's all of these little moments that add up to that transformation that we can look back at. And you can see like where your milestones were, where those big transformation points were, and we can arrive at those milestones, but then the journey continues. So absolutely. Absolutely. What an, what an amazing way to put it. Mm-hmm. So Jen, I am curious, um, when you are doing this work and, and people are going through this, what are some of the most common obstacles that you might come across? Oh, self-sabotage. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty much, and I'm sure you've experienced this because you do a lot of transformational work. Um, Mm -hmm. When we're doing deep work, transformational work, just like we talked about, it's not a linear process. It's kind of like we make a couple steps forward and then we take a step back. Um, And in the times when we have rapid growth and then there's like, there's like an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. If you've ever watched the water or the tides, you know, the waves roll in and the water comes in and then it, it recedes amongst itself and it continues to come in. So yeah. it's the same way with our personal development and our growth and whatever journey we're on. And there's going to be times when we're going to be in flow and, it, and we're going to really be moving forward. And then there's going to be times when we hit a transformational point mm-hmm. and there's going to be an ebb. Because the key to every transformation is you have that breakthrough, but we have to grieve where we were. And we started this conversation talking about this and identity. And when we grieve, when we're in that grieving loss or the moving through transition of wherever our identity was and where we're moving to, mm-hmm. that's the ebb. And um, like people call it different things. Maybe they call it integration. Maybe they call it, you know, call it what you will. But that ebb, that time is, is a time where really we must dial in our self-care and honor what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've ever trained, I'm going to put a physical thing. If you've ever trained for a marathon, for example, or, or a 5K or any kind of athletic event, mm-hmm. and you go from nothing to, let's go from nothing to 5K. Say you've never exercised a day in your life. You're, you sit on the couch, you love to sit on the couch and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I need to do something a little bit more mobile with my life, yeah. you know, health, whatever. And you get up. It's not like you just all of a sudden start running. No, when you start, you build up your aerobic base, right? You start with walking. Yeah. And as you're walking, you are short of breath, you're uncomfortable. Like there's all that discomfort, Right. So the decision to get off the couch in the beginning was a transformation point. Yes. And and then you start walking and you're like, man, I'm I'm sore. I'm out of breath. You're uncomfortable. That's that ebb time, that integration, because you have to do the work. You have to let go of, no, I'm not going to sit on the couch all Mm -hmm. day, every day. I'm going to give up this 30 minutes to go for a walk, right? Yeah. So there's that release. You have to let go of that 
you know, whatever else you were doing with the time and you need to go through the work to get to the next point. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks in, man, you're walking on, you're walking, you're picking up pace. You're like, man, I feel great. You're no longer mm -hmm. short of breath. Your body has adapted. Everything's adapted and you're feeling good. So you're like, I'm going to start running today. And of course, for the record, don't ever start running and go like 30 minutes at once. If you haven't trained, like start with one minute, I'm going to run for one minute or 30 seconds, just once, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so you do. And then what happens? That's another transformation point. You've got mm -hmm. to the point where you've built the aerobic base and you're like, I'm going to run transformation point. And then you actually do it. And then you hurt for two days after mm -hmm. because you've never ran before. Right. Yeah. Or it's been like forever. And so then you're back in that ebb. So it's not the same ebb that you were before when you were just starting to walk, but you're mm -hmm. sore and you're uncomfortable and you got out of breath when you were running, but now your baseline's higher, right? You're, yes. you're able to walk for an hour. You're, you're, you're at a different baseline. So now your, your new baseline is that, okay, I can walk, I'm fine. And I want to start running. And so you have that little ebb and then you start running longer distances and all of a sudden you're running 5k and you're not winded at all. Mm -hmm. and you're not sore and you actually enjoy it. And you're noticing the birds outside and the breeze on your face and all the positives about it because you've gotten past that next level. And you're like, Oh, Hey, Hey, I can run a 5k. Why not run a marathon? Well, as you, every time you hit that next level, you have that ebb and you have that moment of integration and that letting go that happens that mm -hmm. uncomfortable, uncomfortable discomfort. And it's only uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. Yes. And so self-sabotage is those uncomfortable places and you have two choices. You choose either I'm going to give up and go back to being on the sofa mm -hmm. and I'm not going to ever be able to run a 5k or you choose that I'm going to move through this uncomfortable piece. And yeah, it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of work. And yeah, I need to get people to get me off my butt and ask me if I'm running because it's not comfortable. But you make that choice to get that support, that accountability, and to take the actions to get to the next point. That's overcoming self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one, like, I, will, I would say the number one thing that derails people is when it gets uncomfortable, when they actually have to get in the weeds, get their elbows dirty, and do the work. It's not when they have the realization and the awareness. It's when they're going yeah. through the habits. And, you know, it tends to be, I don't know if you've noticed this, it tends to be like weeks three to five. Yes. Yep. Tends to be works three weeks, three to five, because anybody can do anything for like two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with diets, right? Yep. All these 14 and 21 day things. It's because most people don't make it past that three week mark. Yeah. And by five weeks, they're off the wagon. Like that's why all those programs are so successful because anybody can do anything for three weeks. Like literally there's a ton of science behind it, but the same thing happens with our transformational work. Right. So that self-sabotage moment when it gets tough, Mm -hmm. It's not in the beginning when it's exciting and new. It's when you're slugging through it and you just can't see the summit. You're climbing that mountain. You know, there's a beautiful view and all you see is trees and you can't see it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> and you know, you said something so important in there, or at least the way you were describing it, but the way you were training for that marathon or the way you move through those moments of discomfort, you're not trying to do it all at once. And you're, it's literally like such small incremental moments of moving through discomfort until it becomes comfortable. That is so key because so often, um, whether we're physically training for something or whether we want to start a new morning routine, we feel like we have to do everything all at once. And that's not sustainable. 
we just, we can't do everything all at once and we have to pace ourselves and we have to make it achievable because otherwise we're creating neural pathways of failure instead of success. And we need to set ourselves up for success to, in ways that is easy for us, even though it is still going to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I would add one thing to that, celebrate every milestone. Mm. Because that's something that we as a society do not do. And when we celebrate along the journey, we learn to love the journey. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're going through these, um, these growth periods and we're taming and, and healing and learning to know what our inner critic is telling us, what are some ways that you would recommend celebrating? Oh, well, you're now on my favorite new topic because um, I was a chronic (laughs) non-celebrator. Me too. (laughs) Um, And I'll be frank, my clients don't like this. This is is one of the biggest challenges for them is to celebrate the journey because they're all high performers. I attract people who were like me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go figure. Um, So a lot of times, this is the hardest part of your journey. Because a lot of times our identity is wrapped up in everyone else. And what we think brings us joy is, oh, going to the park with our kids. But actually, no, they just like to feed the ducks. And actually, we think it's hot and it's smelly and it's dirty. And we don't actually get energized by it. But we've spent so much time living for so so many other people that we've forgotten what we love. Um, So I would start by tuning in and finding things that energize us. Mm. And I mean, like if there's not another soul on the planet, what energizes us? And I'll, I'll share some of the things that surprised me. Like I love going with a cup of coffee outside to look at my pool and just listen to the birds. But before this journey, I never took time to do that. I was having coffee on the go, doing all the things, right? So for me, one small celebration, one of the first ones was Every time that I hit a milestone, I'm going to spend an hour in the pool, in the hot tub, with a cup of coffee, with a glass of wine, if it's nighttime, whatever it is, just Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Right? So something that energizes and recharges. I also love to go dancing. So that became Mm -hmm. something. Whenever I had a big celebration and my husband, my husband likes to go out to dinner. That's how he likes to celebrate. What Mm -hmm. I love to do is dance. I'm a musician and an artist. And like, I just love, I love movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like it became, I'm going to dance. So whatever brings you joy. And for the record, like it started with dancing in my kitchen with my favorite song, my jam on at the top and singing at the top of my lungs. Like nobody's looking, even if somebody was in the house, like that was a celebration for me, but it's little things that bring me joy and energy. And just like you, what brings you joy and what brings your energy? And then you define it. When I have noticed my inner critic, for example, since that's our topic of the day, when I have noticed what triggers my inner critic um, five out of seven days, I'm going to go dancing. Hmm. When I have managed to interrupt the criticism and dig into what is the fear, three out of five days or three out of seven days, then I'm going to go sit on the patio and listen to the birds and the waterfalls and have a cup of coffee for an hour uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. You know, like define it. Like you talked about achievable and attainable. 
but also celebrations can be small. They don't have to be big things. I have a client Mm -hmm. who does not celebrate anything and and she won't go on vacation because she's saving so that she can jump into her new career. Um, She made, I kid you not, she went from like zero to 15K in, in like 10 days time, but that's not enough because she's a hyper overachiever. And I said, well, but you love to travel and you like to do things and you're coming up with all the excuses why not to do something for yourself. So how are you going to celebrate? And we came up with a day trip to the beach with our dog. Mm-hmm. That counts. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be elaborate. Yeah. Like her big goal is she wants to make, she has a dollar amount she wants to make in her business and she wants to go to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Well, she's not there yet. It's going to take her time to get to a multiple six figure business. I mean, yeah. we don't just go from zero to multiple six figures in a couple of weeks, guys. If somebody told you that they might be lying to you, unless you know something that everyone else doesn't know, or you have just an amazing network. Um, it's very difficult to do that in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> that realistic time frame piece. So she has the big goal and the big celebration, but breaking it down into smaller things that she loves mm-hmm. and celebrating along the way. Yeah. That's so, so key. I love that. Just celebrating along the way. Cause yeah, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be crazy. It can be small and it can be little things, but those little celebrations, those little nuggets of receiving something for the work that we're doing. And that work may, like you even said, may even just be noticing your inner critic, but celebrating that along the way keeps us motivated to keep going. Cause if it's, if we're only waiting for that big celebration, we're probably going to lose motivation and we're probably going to stop doing the work. And then we're going to hit those two weeks and maybe week three and then week four, we're going to be done. And then we're going to feel like we have to start all over again. Watching the wagon go by. (laughs) And then that goal, that celebration that we have that is so big keeps getting further and further out of reach. Absolutely. And then we are just slogging through it without any clear sights. You know, it's about having, having the small things in your sights so that your target is pointing due north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The little steps are your, are in your sights and that will keep you moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So Jen, is there anything else that you feel like our listeners should know? Hmm. Um, you mean other than the answer to life, the universe and everything? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, I think, I think we've talked about a whole lot today. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if it was to be concise, I would say, number one, whatever is going on in your head is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Number two, every single human being on planet earth has an inner critic. No single person on planet earth has all of their stuff together. We all have challenges no matter where we are on our journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're only seeing a piece of any puzzle. So when we think about judgment, self, all judgment is self judgment. You know, a good clue is if you say something and I go, Oh, why did she say something like that? That's a clue that that's, an infraction on myself. I'm judging myself if I'm saying something negative about someone else. So use your clues, like paying attention and dialing into where you're passing judgment on other people Mm -hmm. because they're clues on where you judge yourself. Um, Because sometimes the awareness piece is the hardest part. 
And if you're listening to this, I mean, pat yourself on the back, do a celebration and say, holy crap, I'm listening to some amazing personal development stuff. I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm hearing these amazing things. And what is the one thing I'm going to do to move forward? I'm going to tune into where I am judging mm -hmm. because where I'm judging gives me clues to what, what I'm holding against myself. Yeah. Um, and if someone had told me that years ago, I would be so much further along. But the reality is it always happens exactly at the right time when we are ready to receive. Mm -hmm. So comparing ourselves to other people is pointless. All of us, none of us, not a soul on earth has walked in your shoes. Yeah. Just like exactly. not a soul on earth has walked in mine. And so we are accumulation of all of our experiences. And as such, we cannot compare ourselves to anyone else. Mm -hmm. on the planet because we each have our unique experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Beautiful. The wisdom I wish I had. <laughs> oh. oh, me too. <laughs> I think we all wish we had it. <laughs> I think we can write a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few books. <laughs> Plus the secrets of the universe. <laughs> right? Life, the universe and everything. <laughs> oh, perfect. This was so good, Jen. Oh, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking all about this. This was such a pleasure. Absolutely. And anytime you want a conversation, I'm definitely game because this is Sounds literally good. what lights my soul on fire. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so Jen, where can people connect with you? Right. So I'm on social media, but um, if you want to get me, the best way would be going to my website, jengodetcoaching.com, J-E-N. G-A-U-D-E-T-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. Um, you can find me, Jen Godet, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. I'm always sharing fun tidbits of stuff. Feel free to like social stalk me and, and, and check out the freebies. Um, and I'm always here for anyone who has any questions. I'd like to be a resource. Excellent. Excellent. And do you have anything coming up that people should be aware of, whether it's a coaching program or anything? So I actually have a couple of, of programs launching. Um, I'm relaunching my boundaries course. Um, mm -hmm. It's based off of my boundaries workshop and the book that I wrote um, last year. It's, it's coming live again in the end of July. So if you'd like more information, reach out to me on my website. Um, and then I also have something designed for entrepreneurs. It's become the CEO of your business and your life. Mm -hmm. And it dials into the physiology and psychology, um, how to really take command and, and set boundaries and be the CEO of your life so that you can show up the best in your organization and optimize performance in your business. So that's coming up in August. Those are the two big releases. Perfect. Awesome. So for all of you listening, all of Jen's contact information, her website, everything will be in the show notes for you so that you can connect with her. She is so amazing. And this was just a small snippet into who she is. So make sure you go connect with her. And Jen, thank you again for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. I can't wait till the next time we talk. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining me today on the Soul Service Podcast. If you love what you heard, I would be over the moon if you would share this episode with your friends and leave me a five-star review and subscribe over on iTunes. I want to help as many people as I can and I can't do it without your support. I'll see you on the next episode.